Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. Um, we've had two sermons where we talked about these promises God has made to bring Jesus. It's good. The promises are good. The light, you see the light here, the light's going to come into the world. All of these good things. But in last week, we saw John, John the Baptist. Uh, I, gave an exam I gave an excerpt um, about what his message was. Prepare, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, sort of like in your heart, clear the debris out of the way, you know, make a path so Jesus can come into your life. Not just once, you know, 20 years ago, but continually make sure that there is, there's a path between Jesus and between you. And so today, instead of just talk, instead of talking about simply another promise, I'm going to let John talk to us. And John the Baptist is going to tell us this promise is great, but what, what is it? What, if you say you want this promise and you're excited about it, you celebrate Advent, you come to church, um, it, is this promise actually real to you, though? Do you know what it means? Do you know what the concept, do you know what the ramifications are if it's real, how it should change your life? And that's what John wants us to see. So in all the celebration about Advent, I thought it would be appropriate to hear what John has to say. You hear the rest of his message about you know, prepare a way for the Lord. Good news is coming. This is great. But if you say you want this, what should it look like in your life? In reality, not just in theory. So the title of the sermon is from one of John's sentences, The Axe at the Root of the Tree. And this passage addresses a problem that is not just our problem, but I think it could be a problem for anyone in any time. And this is the problem, is we can tend to want to make Christianity into a coffee table book. Do you guys, any of you, have you, any of you guys had coffee table books, these big thick books with glossy pages and lots of photos and they just sit like on the coffee table or something in the, you know, the living room or something and they're just there. They're meant to look pretty and there's something for people to flip through and look at or whatever if there's a spare moment or two. It's, but it's like, it's like a decoration. It's there, but it's not really read, right? It's not really consumed. It's not really something you think. It's just a book, a big, thick, pretty book that's there and there it is. I know, actually, I don't know if coffee table books are really a thing anymore, but they used to be a thing. Uh, we want to make Christianity into a coffee table book, something that's on display, something that's attractive, but makes no real difference to our lives. That's a tendency. And that is not Christianity. That's not the good news that Jesus came to give us. That's not the good news that John told people to get themselves ready to hear. And so celebrating Advent is great, unless it's just a lot of talk and no action. And that's what John's going to challenge us with today. Uh, John's message means something. Prepare the way for the Lord. He's telling us, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So what does it look like to you know, prepare your highway for Jesus to come into your life? Not just once, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, last month, but you know, every day to keep the debris clear. What does it actually look like? What is, what, what's, it, what's it look like? And so John's going to talk to us um, here today, and he'll tell us all about it. So we'll pray, and we'll look at Luke chapter 3, verses 7 to 18. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us, uh, convict us of sin, of righteousness, 
of judgment and move us to want to be the kind of people that John the Baptist is calling us to be in this passage. Help us never to be externalists. Help us never to give lip service to loving you and your son, but our lives look totally different. Help us to love you from the inside out and help our actions to reflect our inner love for you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Luke chapter 3, we see John's message. He says, uh, um, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley will be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. That's what John said in Luke chapter 3, verses uh, uh, 4 through 6. That's what John said. All this is a metaphor for make a straight path so Jesus can come. And, and meet you and tell you his message. You're ready to hear it. And so now there's a whole bunch of people coming out to see John at the river when he's doing all these baptisms. So John, you would think John would be like, I'm so glad there's so many people here. Praise the Lord. And he just gets them all in and gets them baptized. But instead, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. So that's not what you would expect him to say. Why are the people coming out to the river? There's tons of people coming. Matthew has the same sort of scene. Lots of people. Why are people coming to the river? They, yeah, they, 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 want, they, they want to hear John. They, they, they might even want what he's saying. He's telling everyone to prepare the way, to repent. He's baptizing everyone as a symbol that you know, it's a new start. I'm dedicating myself. I'm cleansing myself from unrighteousness you know, in a symbolic way. I'm going to get ready to meet the Messiah. And there's tons of people coming. All sorts of people are coming out because they want what John is offering. But what John's point in this message is, is that salvation, like this divine passport that says, now you belong to my family. God says. This divine passport isn't like a free pen. Have you ever gotten a free pen from someone or from some business or like some free swag from something and it's like a pen or a magnet and you're like, oh, thanks. You know, and like you lose the pen or you put it somewhere or it falls below the seat in your car and you find it, you know, next year when you clean your car out once winter's over and there's no more mud coming in your car. You're like, oh, the pen. I remember this pen that you throw it somewhere else. Well, you, don't, you don't really care about the pen. Right? Oh, a pen. How cute. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll take the pen. Sure. But it, it's, not, it's not really anything that important. Salvation is not a free pen. If salvation is real, it changes you. It changes you. Jesus is, is not offering a free pen. He's offering freedom, escape, liberation. So you got all these people coming and John wants to make sure they're coming for the right reasons and not just coming to get a free pen. You know, everyone's there. It's a, everyone's talking about it. Tons of people are coming. Are you guys here for the right reasons? Do you actually want to prepare a way for Jesus? Or are you here for something else? Sure, I'll get baptized. Why not? Doesn't matter. Are you actually here because you, you want to prepare a way for the Lord in your heart? Yes or no? That's what, he, that's what he's going to challenge. And he starts off by calling them children of snakes, you brood of vipers, which is a great pastoral tactic. Um, that I haven't yet tried, and I probably won't. But anyway, I mean, he starts off really um, harsh. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I'll wait for John Wayne. So he's, ah, oh, now I know why I was going to go to John Wayne. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
So he's saying, why are you here? Are you here to escape from the wrath that's coming? Uh, I think you can look, uh, one analogy is you can look at this world as like a corrupt town in an old Western movie. This is Rio Bravo, one of my favorite John Wayne movies. Uh, like those Western movies where you know the sheriff comes to town and the lawlessness reigns, there's chaos everywhere. And this world is a mess and it has to be fixed. And fixing it means you know, drawing a line in the sand and asking people to choose. Will you make a course correction or are you going to face the coming wrath of the sheriff? Not that John Wayne is Jesus, but you, you get what I'm saying. I mean, face the wrath of the sheriff as he starts cleaning the place up. You have to choose to be on the side of order and um, uh, law, or you can choose to continue the way things have been, in which case you'll have to deal with the lawman who's come to fix the place and make it a nice place to live again. In the Christian story, in this analogy, Jesus is the sheriff who's come to clean up the world. He's come to clean up this world. And this course correction that he's offering is not by works, not by, here's a list of things, make sure you do them and then you'll be good, but by means of faith and trust in Jesus. And so when John says, why are you guys here? Why are you, why are you really here? Why are you here? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He's asking them, why are you here? You know, all these people, they're all gathered at the river. They're all gathered at the river. Are they there for the right reasons? Or are they like the Nazi scientists after World War II that were building the V2 rockets that would, they'd launch them from the Netherlands and over to strike London and sow tear in the Allies' uh, civilian population after the D-Day landings? When the, when the Allies captured the rocket facility and captured all the scientists, they just took them and brought them to the U.S. to work on our own rocket program, like the Apollo program and NASA and things like that. They, the, so the scientists just were, went from working for the Nazis on Wednesday, and then they just started working for the Americans on Thursday. Why not? So is, is that what's happening, John's saying? Are you, just, are you actually here because you want Jesus to change you? You, you want the Savior, the Messiah, to change your heart? Are you just, I worked for you yesterday, I'll do this today, with no, nothing happening on the inside? Why are you here? So he tells them, in verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You say you're here to be baptized as a symbol that uh, you, you've been, you, you want to rededicate yourself and have like a new start. Okay, prove it. Don't just do this thing because you want a free pen. Uh, are you, do you actually want, are you actually preparing away and clearing all the debris out of your life, letting Jesus clear all the debris out of your life? Are you going to do that or is it all fake? What is the evidence? Fruit is the evidence of a changed life. We don't become Christians by doing a list of things, but we show and prove that we are Christians by changed lives. We show and prove our faith by our works. It's like the kid who says, I love salad. I love salad. You don't, I, you, I'll eat the salad. And then every day at dinner, he finds a way to not eat the salad. Every day I'm full. Oh, uh, uh -huh. and then eventually you're like, you don't like salad. I do. No, you don't. If you like salad, you'd eat the salad. That's not rocket science. You don't like the salad, I can tell, because you find a way to not ever eat it. I'm a Christian. Really? 
Are you really a Christian? John is sort of asking, produce fruit in keeping with what you say you want to repent and prepare. Uh, have Jesus clear the debris out of your life so you can be his child and he can, he can shape you. That's what you want. But you don't do anything that shows that. I love the Seahawks, but you know nothing about the Seahawks. You don't know any memorabilia. You don't even know one player's name. You know nothing. I don't think you like the Seahawks. I don't think you like salad. I mean, that's, that's, that's obvious stuff. And so John's saying, why are you here? You want, are you here for the right reasons? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then he ups the ante and he says, he's talking to mostly Jewish people. That's where he is. Do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. We're Jewish. We're already good because the covenants were given to the Jewish people. I'm Jewish. I already have my, I already have my get out of jail free card. I have it right here. I'm Jewish. I'm good. He says, don't even begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He said, if I just want people descended from Abraham, I could turn a stone into someone descended from Abraham. If all I cared about was who your dad was, then you know, I don't need you for that. Uh, I can do that. My, I, I, can, I can make someone like that myself. God doesn't care who your parents are. Have you ever heard the, the saying, God doesn't have grandchildren? And what that means is that there's no tie to God because of who your parents are. You have to choose Jesus. Your parents might have chosen Jesus, but you have to choose him yourself. What your parents did has nothing to do with you. You have to choose Jesus. You. Have you trusted him and his son's message? So you, you'll, John has all these people. They might be saying, well, let's not be too hasty here. I mean, my parents were, and John would say, no, I don't care. Jesus would say, who do you say that I am? I don't care what your parents say. If they believe that I'm the Messiah, that's great. Who do you say that I am? They might say, but I'm, I'm, I'm a Jewish woman. I don't care, God says. Who do you say that I am? Don't say we have Abraham as our father as though that's your, that's your, that's your key card. You ever go to a place or you work somewhere, you have a key card, you scan it, beep, and then you can open the door and you have the secret card to get in the door. Being Jewish is not a secret key card to get you in the door to Jesus, to God's family. You have to choose Jesus yourself. You have to come to a place where you choose Jesus as your savior. You choose Jesus as the one who can save you from yourself. You choose Jesus as the one who can give you righteousness, who can give you peace. You have to choose. And then he says the line that's, uh, that the title of the sermon comes from. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It's this image, like there's going to come a time where I'm going to have to make a, a, a delineation between the people who love me, who've chosen to love me, and the people who've chosen to continue not loving. So it's like the axe is right there, ready to start swinging the axe to cut the tree down. And uh, which side do you want to be on? That's what John's message is. You all are coming to the river. You're all excited. Are you actually here for the right reasons? Do you want to produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Is this real? Because there's going to be a great sifting one day. The time's going to come where he's going to clear the forest out, cut down the dead trees so there's only living trees left. 
So John says, you all can keep coming to the river if you want, but God will know your heart by how you live. Where's the fruit? Maybe that should have been the title of the sermon. Where's the fruit? That's what John's doing. You've heard of the church growth movement? John likes the church shrinkage movement. Tons of people are coming. He's like, why are you here? Why are you really here? And undoubtedly, some people are like, well, forget you. And they go away because they don't like what he's saying because they they're not there for Jesus to change their heart. They're not there to prepare their hearts to meet the Messiah. They're there for who knows what, but not that. So he's asking them, why are you actually here? And so what does the crowd say? They say, well, what should we do then? Now, we don't know that there's a bunch of people, and they're all saying this. So some people might be saying, well, what do you want us to do? And other people are actually, what should, what's it look like then? What, do we, what are we supposed to do? I don't know what your reaction is when you, when you hear this, but it, this is the great question. The gospel isn't a free pen. It changes you from the inside out, and that means it produces fruit in your life. And so what's it look like? What should we be doing then? John says that coming to the river for this ritual baptism isn't going to do anything for you. He doesn't want ritual. Coming to church just by itself is not going to do anything for you. Tithing is not going to do anything for you. Um, you want the free pen and you want to treat it like a free pen. John says, calls, that's why John starts off by calling them a brood of vipers, or like this nest of little snake children. Uh, if it doesn't change your heart, it's not real. And that's what John says to do. They say, well, what should we do then? So he just gives us some random examples that fit with the people who are, who are asking him the question. And you can personalize it for your life and your context, but the point is pretty clear. So he gives these, he answers three different groups of people. What should we do? And he says, he, he answers it with if, then. If this is true, then that. That's, that's the way that the people would, would hear the question that he's asking. What should we do? Group number one, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. If God has changed your heart, then you should love your brothers and sisters and help them when they need help. And that's pretty basic. The book of James, he says, that's the essence of what, if you love God, the, es the, the, the fruit is going to be that you'll love the widows and the orphans and help those who, who are in need. If God has changed your heart, then you should want to help your brothers and sisters in the faith. They want to know, well, what, what are we supposed to do? What's supposed to look like? This is what's supposed to look like. Where's the fruit? This is one kind of fruit. There's all kinds of fruits out there in the world. I've only tried like this much of them. But where's the fruit? This is an example of fruit. Even tax collectors in verse 12 and 13 came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? There's a different group of people. Don't collect more than you're required to, he told them. If God has changed your heart, then you shouldn't steal from people. Amazing. If Jesus has changed your heart, that should change you. It's like an inevitable thing. I like salad. You'll want to eat salad, right? Yeah. Jesus has changed your heart. It'll overflow into tons of different areas. This is an example for these people, the tax collectors. Then some soldiers asked him, verse 14, uh, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. If God has changed your heart, then don't use your position to extort things from people. Who would have thought? 
Amazing. And those are just examples, and they can be personalized in a million different ways. But uh, it all comes down to, to this. Um, if you say that you're there for Jesus, and you're preparing your heart to meet the Messiah, then where's the evidence? He's not saying that they're all horrible people. He's saying there should be some evidence. Are you prepared to produce fruit in keeping with repentance? A lot of people come to church every Sunday. They celebrate Advent. They, they say they trust Jesus. But we can sometimes, even still, we can treat him like he's a free pen. He's around here somewhere. I mean, I had him right here. He's in here. No, he's not there. He's, he's here somewhere. And maybe he's back there in the pen jar on the thing back there, at the, the welcome thing. You know, he's not anything that's meaningful. He's there. He's around. He might be in the car. might be in your purse. might be on the table at home. Uh, might be in the thing back there. might be back here somewhere. There's like three shelves in here full of stuff. I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe it's there, but it's here somewhere. That is not Jesus. That's not how we treat, how believers treat Jesus. And John's challenging the folks who are all coming down to the river saying, are you sure you're coming for the right reasons? And they all are wondering if John's the Messiah and John's going to say, it ain't me. I'm just, I'm just the guy who's here to get you ready for the Messiah. So when he comes, you're, you're ready to go. The book of James says, faith by itself in James 2.17, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. If you say you are something, there should be evidence of it. Apple tree produces apples. May not be the best apples, but you can see that there's apple stuff there, right? You, you see it. Maybe it needs some fertilizer so the apples are better, but you see the apple. You get it. I love salad. Then you'll want to eat the salad. It's pretty simple. So they say, well, are you the Messiah? And John says, no. In verse 16, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but... One who is more powerful than I will come in the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, which is the verse that I messed up on during the public reading. So John says, no, 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 I'm just the advanced guy. I'm the guy who, who just gets people ready so when the guy comes, when the Messiah comes, you'll all be ready. I baptize you with water is like a symbol, right? A symbol of I'm preparing to meet the Messiah. I'm repenting. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing my heart so the Messiah so when he comes, I'll be like, there he is. And I want to be part of his family. I just prepare the way. But this other guy, the Messiah, when he comes, he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. This, When the Holy Spirit um, washes you clean, rescues you, saves you, makes you new, gives you a new heart. Sort of, have, has anyone ever power washed their driveway? or they're siding and you I get this weird I liked vacuuming when I was a kid because I would vacuum and I'd see the tracks and it'd be so pretty I like power washing too you pressure wash and like the, the sidewalk turns a different color and you're like ha 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 and you just you just power wash the whole thing away and uh, that's what the Holy Spirit does to a believer power washes you clean and gives you a new status Gives you a new, changes your heart, changes your mind. So now you belong to Jesus. And now, now that you belong to Jesus, now we can start to, to fix you little by little. This guy, Jesus, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Baptism back here under this thing, that's a symbol of what the Holy Spirit does. Washes us clean. 
Paul says in Titus 3, chapter 3, verse 5, you're washed, you're made new, you're cleansed, everything's been fixed. You've been washed from the inside out. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What's the fire mean? Is he going to burn you up? I mean, what does it mean he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire? It's the same group of people who are baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What do you think the fire is getting at? What's it going to do for you? What's it mean? Purifies. Yeah, purifies. It's like, like cleaning all the stuff away, burning off all of the bad stuff. The Holy Spirit comes, baptize, you know, washes you clean, and then ba and also baptizing you with the fire purges everything. Have you ever had put it? Do you have a self cleaning mode on your oven? You put the oven on self cleaning mode, and it heats to like eight million degrees, and it just it just burns everything off. You know, that's what it's supposed to do anyway. Uh, and it, it just burns everything, just things. And if your oven in self-cleaning mode actually works, you open the oven and you'll say, oh, it's clean. Or, no, to, to go to the store and get something. But you can tell if it did something in, in the same way in our lives, if the Holy Spirit has baptized us, if we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit and with fire, so to speak, then it should be clear. There should be a difference. Not that you're, you were horrible, but now you're perfect, but that our, heart, our, our attitude, our desires, our hearts have changed. And so now we want to go toward Jesus instead of continuing on for ourselves. Jesus didn't come in Advent to distribute free pens so that we can take or leave. He came to change us from the inside out. He came to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, which is not a free pen where you're like, hey, you want a pen? And you're like, sure, why not? And then you forget about it and you wash the pen and it gets all over your clothes. That's not what Jesus came to offer. If you want to gather at the river, then be sure you're on board with that program. Be sure you're on board with that program. He says his winnowing fork, verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand, the same analogy as the tree with the axe. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There's going to become a time of sifting the people who've chosen to love him and the people who either don't care or they were faking it and they weren't serious. But either way, there's going to come a time where there's a sifting. When I was a kid, we did a whole bunch of yard work and my dad made this homemade thing where we can sift all the rocks out of this tons of dirt we were digging up to put something in. Um, and so he took, he made this little frame and he got a me thick mesh screen from Home Depot and he stapled it all around the thing and we dumped the, we laid over a wheelbarrow, we dump all the dirt onto the screen and the rocks would be on top and the dirt would fall into a wheelbarrow and we'd separate out the rocks. Uh, it, it, there's a sifting. Uh, one day, the Lord is going to sift those who love him from those who don't. And he's asking us right now in the meantime, choose, choose who you're going to serve. Choose who you're going to serve. You say you want this, you're excited about Advent, you love Jesus. Have you produced fruits? Do you, not just did you 10 years ago, do you produce fruit in keeping with repentance? His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor. And that is how John the Baptist framed the good news. That's what he said. He gave them good news. 
right? Prepare the way for the Lord. He quotes from Isaiah, which talks about the Messiah coming and gathering up his sheep, even carrying his sheep when they can't walk. And he's going to lead this, this caravan on the highway to Zion. It's beautiful imagery. But then John also said, are you sure you want to follow him for the right reason? Are you sure you're sure? That's how John preached the gospel. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. The good news isn't just this abstract thing that's sort of out there that doesn't mean anything. Advent celebrates Christ's birth. Yay. I mean, that, that's true, but it can just be this abstract thing that doesn't touch your heart. This is an infinitely personal message. It says, this is the good news. Jesus has come. He's come to rescue you. He's come to set you free. He's come to be perfect for you because you can't be perfect. He's come to be punished for you and your crimes and your place as your substitute so you don't have to be. He's, he's come to defeat Satan for you. He's come to give you pardon from God. You, we actually do things wrong, but he's going to pardon us and, and, and uh, acquit us. And Jesus came to do all of that. So what are we going to do about it? And that's what John says. That's how John preaches the gospel. So the problem the sermon addressed that John's getting at is that we can want sometimes, even without trying to be mean people, we can want to make Christianity into a coffee table book. Something that's nice, that's on display, that looks good, nice pictures, heavy, glossy paper, cool dust jacket, looks nice, but doesn't really make any difference in our lives. And that is not Christianity, that is not the good news. And so what John wants us to do, what's John want us to do if this is the problem? And what does John say we should do? John wants us to be honest with ourselves and really ask, because you're the only one who knows. Your wife, your husband might think that they know you, but you are the only one who really knows what goes on inside your heart. Is Jesus a coffee table book or the center of your life? Which one is it? Or is he none of those? Which one is it? He must be the center of your life in order for him to be your savior. There needs to be a straight path for him. He'll, he'll clear the path. Are you prepared to, to offer the path up to him? Or is he a coffee table book or is he meaningless? Who is he? Who is he with you? Do I produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Do I show my faith by my works? Do I love Jesus in a transformative way? Do I love him from the inside out? Do I want him to change me from the inside out? Pray and ask God, what should I do then? That's what they asked John. And he gave them concrete examples. If, the, if, G, if you love Jesus, then this, and then this, and then this. Not to gain brownie points with God, but as the fruit. It's just the, the inevitable fruit. If you like salad, he'll want to eat salad. There doesn't need to be any discussion. There doesn't need to be any uh, philosophical conundrums. You like salad. You'll, you like steak. You'll want to eat steak. And you will eat steak. You'll find a way to eat steak. That's not hard. You say you love Jesus. It should overflow in how you live your life in a million different ways. You can make a list 20 pages long. Uh, and it's, it's the inevitable fruit of loving Jesus. Do you produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Or is Jesus just a coffee table book? That's what John wants to make sure. He's not trying to drive people away. If they want to leave, they can leave. He wants to make sure they're ready to meet their Messiah. 
not just make him a pretty coffee table book on the table in the living room. And that's a question that's still being asked today. The Holy Spirit is asking you today, us today, which one of those Jesus is in our lives. It's got to be the center. And if it's a coffee table book, it's time to, it's time to choose a different path. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to love you the way we should. Help us to choose to produce fruits in keeping with repentance. Help us to remember that salvation is by faith and trust in your Son. It's not by works. It's not by merit. It's not something we earn. It's not something we can deserve. But nonetheless, we show our faith by how we live. We show who we are by the fruit we produce. Work on our hearts, convict us as necessary, apply your words as your Holy Spirit sees fit according to your will. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.